Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our ministry kickoff Sunday. It's going to be a slightly unusual uh, service this morning. We're going to be hearing from 12 different ministry leaders. In addition to that, instead of having one regular long sermon this morning, I'm going to be doing six micro-sermons. We'll see how that goes. It's unusual, but it's just, I'm just going to do six short meditations on the church and the blessing that it is to be part of a healthy local church. I'm going to tell you a story that I first heard from a man named Nicky Gumbel. You might know that name. Nicky Gumbel was a pastor in England. Uh, he's, what he's known for is he's the man who invented and started the Alpha Ministry. He just recently retired from ministry a few months ago after a lifetime of faithful pastoral ministry. And I heard the story from him. It goes like this. There was a man who had gone to church for several years, but suddenly stopped attending. His pastor dropped by one evening unannounced. The man answered the door and invited him in, and of course, he knew why the pastor was there. They went and they sat down in two chairs in front of a roaring fire. Neither man said anything. They just sat in silence. After a few minutes, the pastor picked up the fire tongs, took one of the logs out of the fire, and laid it on the hearth. The flames died down. They flickered a few times before going out. And then the two men sat in silence and watched as the logs started to grow cold and black. After a while, the pastor again picked up the fire tongs, grabbed the smoldering log, put it back in with the burning logs, and immediately that log burst back into flame. The pastor then got up and said, well, I need to go now, but I've enjoyed our visit. The man, too, rose up and said, I appreciate your message, pastor. I'll be there on Sunday. I share that story as a simple but profound reminder that we need each other. We need each other, and when we gather together, we experience God at work amongst us in ways that we cannot experience on our own. I invite you to hear these words of Scripture from the book of Hebrews. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The church is not a building. The church is not a place where we meet. The church is not a service that happens from 10 to 11.30 on Sunday morning. The church is the people of God. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you don't go to church. You are the church. And the church is God's chosen vehicle for displaying His glory to His creation. The church is God's chosen vehicle for displaying His glory to His creation. The church is God's plan A for spreading the good news of the gospel of God's kingdom. And there is no plan B. Here's what Eugene Peterson has to say about this. 
Whether we like it or not, the moment we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is, from the time that we become a Christian, we are, from that moment, a member of the Christian church. Our membership in the church is a corollary of our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess Christ as Lord. It is not an option for those Christians who happen to be by nature more outgoing than others. It is part of the fabric of redemption. For God never makes private, secret salvation deals with people. His relationships with us are personal, true. They are intimate, yes. But private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in the faith. No Christian is an only child. And I'm going to read for you from Mark in chapter 3. It says, And Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Well, this is the time of the service where we do corporate confession and assurance. So by way of that, I'd like to share these words. They're written by Tish Warren from her a really good book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Tish writes this. The church is not an entity outside of me. I do not stand on the outside looking in. I am as much part of the church as, in the words of Paul, a hand is a part of the body. That means that when I see sin in the church, I am implicated in it. I have contributed to the brokenness of the church. I have dealt wounds to others. I have been unfaithful to the bridegroom. Every church leader and church member is in no insignificant way, a failure. But here too, in our failure, we see God's power because in this body of Christ, we find a place where we can be gloriously and devastatingly human. We find a place where we can fail and we find a place where we can repent and we can grow and we can receive grace and we can be made new. Like a family, but even closer than a family, we can learn to live together, weak and human, in the goodness and the transformation of God. And yet many believers of my generation, uh, Tish is my, actually just a little bit younger than me when she writes this, many believers of my generation are not sure what the church is for. We, some have denigrated the need for it altogether. We have produced a me-centered faith 
about me, my needs, and what I get out of it. This would be foreign to most Christians throughout the history of the church. But if Christianity is not only about my individual connection with God, but is instead about God calling and forming and saving and redeeming a people, then the church must never be considered optional. Christ did not send his Holy Spirit only to individuals. He did not merely seek personal relationships with his followers. The good news is not simply that I can believe and thus make it to heaven, or even that I can believe and live out my life among a band of Christian friends. Jesus, spent, Jesus sent his spirit to a people. The preservation of our faith and the endurance of the saints is not an individual promise. It is a promise that God will redeem and preserve his church, a people, a community, an organism, an institution, generation after generation, and that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. There are times, though, when the wounds that the church gives are even more profound and complex than conflicts between individuals. And any of us who have hung around the church long enough have a few scars to show for it. And that can cause us to be tempted to give up on the church altogether. And yet, where else would we go? The church is where we find the words of eternal life. The church is where we hear the gospel in community. The church is where we receive nourishment in word and sacrament. The church is where we touch the body of Christ. It's where we are shaped and formed as individuals beloved by God. The church is not perfect, but it is a home and it is a family. And it is not optional, but it is central to the Christian life. I invite you to pray with me. Holy Father, thank you for the blessing of the church. Thank you that you have redeemed us and saved us and called us to community, called us to your family. And I pray that you would forgive us for the times when we have taken for granted the depth and the beauty of that blessing, of that calling. I pray that you would forgive us for times when we have taken a selfish and self-centered, a me-focused approach to our faith and forsaken the blessing of being part of a, of a body, the body of Christ. I pray for you f that you would forgive us for the times when we have administered wounds and hurts to one another within the body. I pray that you would forgive us for thoughtless words spoken that had a stinger in the tail and that caused harm and hurt. I pray that you would forgive us for the times when we ought to have reached out with a kind word or an act of service and for whatever reason, we did not. I pray that you would forgive us for times when we saw someone hurting and we didn't speak words of comfort and encouragement. I pray you'd forgive us for times 
when we have acted in ways that were unloving towards one another. I pray you'd forgive us for times when we have held on to bitterness and resentment instead of offering forgiveness and love. I pray you'd forgive us for times when we have looked inward and failed to look outward and see needs and hurts in the greater community surrounding us and been a witness for the love of Christ to people who so badly need to feel and experience and see the love of Christ. Lord, the church is a blessing and we recognize that and yet there are so many ways that we have failed to live up to your perfect standard of love and fellowship and joy and obedience. And for those, we repent. And we recognize before you this morning that no church is perfect, Ebenezer included. We're not. We're failed. We're flawed. We're human. We're broken. But we are also redeemed. And we are the church. And you are our God. And you have made us one body. Not a bunch of individuals. But one body. Hearts and minds and lives knit together by the power of the Holy Spirit through the shed blood of our Savior Jesus Christ who is our head. And although we don't live that out perfectly, we thank you for the blessing that we get to live that out. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. By way of assurance, I invite you to hear these words from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. These are words that we have thought about and meditated on collectively as a church recently as we worked our way through the book of Philippians. Paul writes this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And again, I want to invite you to pray with me prayers of thanksgiving to God for the assurance we have that he will complete this good work that he has begun. Lord, we recognize that we are not perfect. We have confessed that and we own that. And yet we take comfort in the fact that you have promised that you have begun a good work in us. It is not completed yet. We know that. We feel that. And yet we take comfort in the assurance that you will bring it to completion. And we thank you that even though we are not always faithful as we should be, you are always faithful. And we take comfort in that. Yet not us, but Christ in us. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I'm now going to read for us 31 passages of Scripture. See if you can spot the common thread in these passages. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Wait for one another.
Have the same care for one another. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another in love. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Increase and abound in love for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Seek to do good to one another. Exhort one another every day. Stir up one another to love and to good works. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Have fellowship with one another. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So I'm going to read this letter to my children. I invite you to listen along as well. Dear Lois, Clara, Elliot, and Sylvia, you have been part of the church and attending church services your whole lives. You come faithfully every Sunday, not because you choose to, but because you have to. Your mom and I make you come. Sometimes we even make you skip things that you'd rather be doing in order to come to church on a Sunday morning. And the reason that we do that is because your mom and I love you, and we really do believe that the church is the best thing on earth. It is the closest that we come to heaven this side of death. But in the not-too-distant future, less than a year for you, Lois, the decision about whether or not you attend church will be yours to make, not ours. So here are some things that I want you to think about when you're deciding what role the church will play in your life. First, I want you to know without a doubt that our love for you is not contingent on what you believe about God or whether or not you go to church. We love you because we love you. And we will never, ever stop loving you no matter what beliefs you embrace 
or lifestyle decisions you make. We will always love you, and you don't ever have to question that. Having said that, we do hope and pray that church will not just be a part of your life, but that you will orient your whole life around your participation in a healthy local church. Why do we wish that for you? Because the church is God's chosen vehicle to display his glory to his creation. Because the community of the saints is the most precious and blessed community to be a part of. Like the tabernacle during the old covenant, in the new covenant, it's the body of Christ that is the place where God has chosen to dwell and manifest his power on earth in a special way. I would not be friends with someone who refused to honor and respect your mom. So why would someone think that they could love and obey Jesus while disrespecting or disregarding his bride? You can't. And that's why we hope and pray that you find a good, healthy church to invest your life in. But that raises a question. What is a good, healthy church? I don't have time right now to say everything I want to say about that. I'm sure I'll get opportunities uh, in times to come. But I want to just highlight one thing for you. Find a church that believes and loves the Bible. Wait a minute, you might say. Why start with that? Why not find a church that's marked by love? My answer to that very good question is that a church that believes and loves the Bible will be a church that is marked by love. Well, how will you know if a church believes and loves the Bible? Well, you could read their statement of faith, but let me tell you this. Pretty much every church in their statement of faith says that they believe the Bible. More importantly, you should pay attention to the way they talk about God's word. It should be with joy and with reverence. And you should listen to the songs that they sing and the way that they sing them. They should be songs that are biblically true and they should be sung wholeheartedly. And you should watch the way that they make decisions. They should consult God's word and submit to it in all circumstances. And in a church that believes and loves the Bible, there will be a consistent tone of grace because the Bible from start to finish is all about grace. And I want to encourage you to listen carefully to the sermons. I don't think you should particularly care how gifted the preacher is or whether or not he's smart or whether or not... He's a good communicator or a good storyteller or easy to listen to or is able to attract a big crowd or is an A-type of leader. I don't think you should care about those things. And in fact, I would warn you against preachers who are super gifted and super polished. But what you should ask yourself is if the preacher is letting God's word set the agenda for his sermons and if his life during the week lines up with what he says on Sunday. And if the answer to either of those questions is no, don't stay at that church. And once you find a good, healthy church, give yourself fully to that church. Don't hold back. 
Don't just attend on Sunday morning, but use your gifts to build up the church. You four are so gifted in so many ways. Use your gifts to bless others. And in addition to using your God-given gifts and passions, here's what I want you to do. Look for the jobs that no one wants to do. Look for the jobs that are thankless and look for the jobs that don't get noticed and do those and do them quietly and do them joyfully and do them to the glory of God. And don't just hang out with people who are like you and who are easy to be around. In fact, when you discover that people at your church are different than you and when you discover that they disagree with you on important issues, Don't avoid them. Seek them out. Ask them why they believe what they believe and listen to them and try to understand them and ask them why they love the church and try to learn from them. And when another member of your church hurts you, not if, but when another member of your church hurts you, forgive them. And remember that you too have been forgiven much And remember that there are a thousand reasons why that person said or did that thing to hurt you, none of which have anything to do with you. And when you hurt another member of your church, whether you do that intentionally or whether you do that by accident, take responsibility for that, go to them and apologize and ask for their forgiveness. And be generous with your giving to church. There's nothing you have that you did not receive from the Lord, so be generous. And believe that the Lord will provide for your needs. And know that the path of generosity is a path of blessing. And support your leaders. Elders and deacons have hard jobs. Don't ever forget that. Look for ways to affirm, encourage, and support them. And perhaps one day, God will call you to fill one of those offices. And don't ever gossip. It's one of the most toxic things that happens in a church. If someone starts talking to you about a problem that they have with someone else, immediately stop them and tell them to go and talk to the person they have a problem with. If that person gets offended or upset with you, trust me, you didn't want to be friends with that person anyways. Because if they'll talk to you about someone else when that person's not around, they'll talk about you when you're not around. And if the Lord blesses you with a spouse and with children, I want to encourage you to orient your whole family around the priority of the local church. One of the biggest blessings about being a human being on this beautiful earth is being part of a healthy church. Don't trade that blessing for something of lesser value. And Elliot, sing. Sing with your whole heart unto the Lord. Elliot, listen to the men of this church. They sing. They love the Lord, and they sing. It is not unmanly to sing. When we sing songs of praise to the one true God, it changes us, and it shapes us, and it forms us more and more into the image of Christ. It's a secret superpower that Christians have been given. One final thing, I believe that what I've laid out here is for you is a path of blessing. I believe that if you walk this path, you will indeed be blessed. 
But I know that you know that even though these are my values and I believe them, I don't always live up to them. You've seen that with your own eyes as you've grown up in our home. It's one thing to write a pious letter about church to your children and read it on Sunday morning when you're the pastor. It's another thing to live that out day in and day out. And so when you fail, and fail you will, go easy on yourself. Sometimes it's hard to be a human being. But remember, never forget, even in your lowest moment or your biggest failure, never forget that there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. You cannot out-sin God's grace. I love you more than I could ever say, but God loves you even more than that. And I pray that you will love the church. Thanks for listening. Okay, one final meditation. Uh, I'm going to read for us Proverbs 6 and verse 6. It says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. I lived in Georgia and in Florida for quite a while, and uh, there are fire ants there, and they are the worst. They're everywhere. Uh, ants are awful in that way, but scientifically, ants are awesome. Uh, they are endlessly fascinating. They are, they are such, a, such a perfect parable of collective behavior, right? F a few fire ants spaced far apart, they just act like individual ants. But if you pack enough fire ants close together, they act like a single unit. They exhibit both solid and liquid properties. They can form, I bet you've seen this, they can form rafts, ant rafts, made of themselves so that they can survive and float through flash floods or across rivers. They can build bridges to get across rivers. They can arrange themselves into towers, an ant tower, to get up into places they wouldn't otherwise be able to reach as individual ants. And you can even, I don't know if you knew this, you can fill a teapot with ants and pour them like water. Ants will pour out of a teapot into a teacup. If you don't believe me, Google that, you'll see it. I was reading, uh, there's a professor, his name is Hong Tang Ko, he's a professor at Princeton University, he's a professor of ants at Princeton University, and he said this, he says, aggregated collectively together in community, ants can almost be thought of as a material, as active matter. What he's saying there is that on its own, an ant is just an ant. But when you get a bunch of ants together, you get a whole new thing entirely. Collectively, they become one body, one new thing, made of many individual ants. And so I close our service this morning with these words from the Apostle Paul. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Thanks be to God that he has called us together and formed us individuals into one body.